morning, everyone. Welcome to this established series that we've been going through for a number of months now. What we've been doing is tracing the story of the Bible from start to finish. That sometimes it's helpful to be able to get the overarching message of the Bible in order to see how all the smaller parts fit into that. And so we're in a season of Israel's history that is not great. This is uh, a time when they're in slavery. The fancy word is exile. And it's not going well for them. And so prophets are speaking to them words of encouragement, words of hope, but uh, also a, a presentation of kind of how to get out of this moment, how to come out from under God's judgment and move back into the plans and purposes that he had designed for them. And so uh, we're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 29 today. And uh, this is how it begins. This is what the Lord says. Behold, uh, Babylon will be powerful for 70 years. Well, that's a sobering thought, isn't it? That you're, you're talking to somebody and they go, oh, by the way, this is going to last for 70 years. I mean, that's a, that's a sobering way to begin. But then it goes on to say, after that time, I will come to you and I will keep my promise to bring you back to Jerusalem, that, that promised land. I say this because I know what I am planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you not plans to hurt you. I will give you hope and a good future. Then you will call my name. You will come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will search me. And when you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. Really encouraging message uh, with just a bit of a delay attached to it. So I would like to address three things out of this passage. And the first is this, that God's plans are always good. In verse 11, it says, I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. I will give you hope and a good future. This is always God's first choice. God isn't sitting up in heaven trying to figure out how to make life as painful as possible to somehow perhaps prove our devotion to him. He's a, he's a good God who always has good plans for your life. Now, here's the problem with that. Uh, take a look at your life. I'll take a look at mine. And uh, does it seem all good? You know, isn't it always a mixture? I mean, there's always some good things going on. But wow, if what we were presently experiencing now was the high watermark of God's plans for us, it'd be a little discouraging, wouldn't it? That uh, the things that God promises seem a little bit beyond and a little bit greater than the place that we're presently at. And so it's difficult to uh, sometimes believe what God says. There's things that I have prayed for in my life uh, for decades, and some of them have not come to pass. And so I believe that I'm praying according to his will, that I, I read what scripture says, and this seems to be what God wants. And, and so I ask and I, and I believe, and it doesn't seem to be happening. And then we, we read something like this that says, I have good plans for you. And it's a little bit hard to believe, isn't it? And so what do we do with that? What is, uh, what, uh, where do we go when we're not quite sure? Well, maybe what we turn to is some kind of evidence. And that's a legitimate thing to do to a certain extent, where we know that God is faithful because of what he did previously uh, with Israel. 
We know this for our own lives, that he's done very good things for us. But in the middle of a difficult moment, it's a little hard to remember that. And it's also hard to believe that um, this moment has some, some kind of redemption to it, or it's somehow helpful in some kind of way. And so uh, there really is never enough evidence, is there, to believe that God is good in any given moment. We fear that he might have changed his mind or, or he's not who we thought that he was. And so how do we process a promise like this, that God's plans are always good? Well, we always process it by faith. I wish there was a way around this. I wish I could say, here are the five proofs that is going to show that God is going to come through and it's all going to work out okay. There you go. Well, it doesn't work that way, does it? Because as we've talked a lot about in this series, is that our relationship with God is always built on trust. But here's what's interesting about trust or faith, that as we choose to believe his promises, we begin to see our situation differently. And the very thing that looked, um, you know, despairing and, and hopeless, we can look at that exact same moment and by faith believe that God is there. And as we believe it, it's like the, the situation shapes itself to what we believe. Isn't this fascinating? That our reality isn't simply a list of facts that are somehow objective. No, what we believe about our reality shapes it as much as the reality itself. And so God says, um, you're in a difficult time, but what I want you to do is I want you to know that there's a future coming and that this present reality is a stepping stone, a critical stepping stone, we'll get to that in a minute, a critical stepping stone toward that reality. Will you believe it? And as we choose to believe in the goodness of God, we begin to see his handiwork, even in the most difficult of circumstances. So point number one, God's plans are always good, and it takes faith for us to believe that that's true. But as we believe it to be true, we begin, our, our reality begins to adjust itself to God's promises. Point number two, God's paths are never straight. So God's always good, but the paths that he leads us on towards his plans and purposes seem to never be straight. What we saw in verse 10 was that Babylon, which is the power that is enslaving them, Babylon is going to stay powerful for another 70 years. Uh, and we go, okay, let me get this straight. You want me to believe that you're good and that your, your, your heart towards me is always kind and generous, but then now you're telling me that the power that is oppressing me is going to continue to exist uh, over me for another 70 years. Some people will have died before they realized their freedom. Now, what's going on here? Babylon is always essential in our journey towards God, toward God freeing our souls, walking in love and joy and peace. Babylon is a necessary step, a necessary uh, destination point that we travel through in the journey toward God's plans and purposes. Why is that? Why is it that God can't just come and say to us, look, I've got this great plan for your life, and it's going to begin, get this, right now. 
And the only time it's ever going to get hard is if you deviate from my plans. Uh, but otherwise, it's always just going to be an outstanding time. And don't worry, I'm going to shield you from all this difficult. There's going to be no evil powers that oppress you. It's going to be fine forever after. You know, why can't he do that? Well, here's what I think is going on when he takes us through difficult moments. Moments where we feel, and this is the point, powerless or weak. Why does he do this? Slavery, feeling like we're unable to, um, to do what's necessary or to, you know, to pick ourselves up and to be strong and brave and courageous, whatever it would be. Slavery forces us to do at least two things. Number one is to face our weakness. Have you noticed that whenever things go well in your life, or when you see this in other people's lives, that uh, whenever something goes well, we kind of give ourselves a bit of the credit, don't we? And people write books about this. Their life goes well, and they go, well, here's the, the three to ten things that I did in order to achieve this amazing life that I'm now living. Well, first of all, uh, they never tell you everything. And, and number two is, they actually uh, attribute their success to their own abilities, to their cleverness or hard work. or uh, This is just, this is so classic of human nature. And so what God does is he has us bump up against things that we can't control to remind us of what is ultimately true, that he's in the one in, that's in control and not us. And so in order for us to put our confidence in him, which is the way that we're, we'll experience all those plans and purposes, in order for us to put our confidence in him, he somehow has to dismantle the kingdom of self and say, do not trust in yourself. That's what's, that's what's got you into your problems. And so I'm going to let you feel the effect of your choices so that you can see what's really true. And that is that, uh, that we are not the hero of the story. Jesus is. And he needs to... Uh, let us feel the effect of our choices to remind us of what is all, always true, whether things are going well or not, that he's always the one who brings blessing. We don't create these things. We simply receive them. And so what Babylon does for us, number one, is it helps us be honest about our weakness. Be honest that there are some things that are out of our control. And number two, is it helps us see our need for a benevolent power to lead us. That is, we taste of what an unhealthy power is like to, to be under that kind of power. It makes us cry out to say, oh God, you are good. And when I submit to your will and, and follow you, then it does go better, even if my circumstances aren't always ideal. There's something that you do in my heart that sets me free from the oppression of evil. And so as I am under this evil oppressor, it makes my heart long to submit to you and to surrender my life to you and, and to acknowledge you as my life leader. And so could we please receive the difficult parts of the path that God has us on that seems to wind through uh, positive and negative experiences? Could we please uh, use those moments as moments to build humility in our heart? and to cry out for God to be our life leader.
C.S. Lewis, one of the, the uh, I believe it's the first book that he wrote after he became a Christian, is called The Pilgrim's Regress. And it's a, uh, it's a play on a, on a very famous book written before called The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. And so he called it Pilgrim's Regress. And it was basically his story of coming to Christ. Well, it's an allegory. And the main character in the story, his name is John. And so at one point uh, in the journey, John asked his guide about the divine landlord's plans. And he struggled with believing that the landlord was good and that his plans were good. But this is what the, uh, the guide says about the divine landlord to John. You may be sure that the landlord has brought you the shortest way, though I confess it would look an odd journey on a map. You know, isn't this true about our lives? If, if somebody was to kind of trace our life through our life journey, it's going this way and that way and up and down. And, you know, what's going on here? It just makes no sense if you were to kind of trace it out. But it's actually the shortest way to get to where God wants us to be. And that's in humility, trusting him as our life leader. And so as we trust that God is in control of all of what looks like detours and, and deviations, we begin to see the handiwork of God in our life, even in the most difficult of places. You know, I look back over my life and over this last week and look at the difficult moments and I go, those moments are as necessary as the moments of life and joy that I experienced. Because it did something, those moments did something in my heart. They reminded me that I'm not in control. And then I need Jesus to be in control. And so what looks like a deviation is actually part of God working out his plans and purposes in our life. Can we trust him with that? Can we trust that even when we're in Babylon, that his plans are always good? And he's preparing us to receive the good things that he has in store for us. So what is the last point then? God's plans are always good, but God's paths never seem straight, do they? Uh, they are the straightest, but our experience of them doesn't feel that way. Well, the last point is this, that God's priority is always our hearts. In verse 13, it says, search for me with all your heart. While you're in this really difficult time, while you're being oppressed by evil, search for me. And don't just search for me with your mind out of an idle curiosity. Search for me with all your heart. Let this moment be a moment of discipline. A moment where you, you, you let your, your heart be engaged and go, Oh God, I trust in you in this place. I seek you with all this within me. I was talking to somebody uh, a while ago, and they were talking about the struggle that they have doing their daily devotions, that it's, it's just difficult for them to, um, to regularly read the Bible and to spend time with God. And, uh, and so what they said to me, you know, this is a, this is a busy time, but uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to commit myself to having more regular Bible reading in just a few weeks. And um, 
And I'm thinking, um, that's entirely missing the point. If, uh, I don't know who the most famous person you can think of, or the, you know, the person that you admire the most, or I don't know. Um, but if they, if they said to you, tomorrow at 10.30, I've carved out uh, an hour to meet with you, what would your response be? Now, this is the most you know, world-famous person that you can imagine. You would say, you know, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm working at that time. Or I've got another thing. I was, uh, was going to be going to the gym. And, uh, you know, I've already booked the, the spot because in COVID I have to do that. And so I, I don't, I mean, there's just, there's just no way we would do that. We would drop everything to be with God. And it seems sometimes as though our relationship with God is kind of a, an optional add-on. That when we get around to it, oh, sure, we'll be devoted. And imagine the king of heaven and earth listening to us. You know, he, he goes, what? You don't, have, you don't have time for me? Well, if you don't have time, like, what do you, who do you think I am? Like, am I just a, uh, am I just a, you know, uh, some teddy bear or pacifier that you use kind of, to help you feel emotionally better about yourself? Or do you see me for who I really am? I'm the living God. And if, and if you see time with me, or if you don't search me with your whole heart, then you're really not searching me at all. Because if you knew who I was, then with your whole heart is the only way that would be appropriate. And so God says to us, search with your whole heart. Now listen to how God responds and Ezekiel 36, verse 26, it says, I will take out the stubborn hearts of stone from your bodies, and I will give you obedient hearts of flesh. And so as we recognize who God really is, and that the only appropriate response to him is to rush towards him with our whole heart, what we quickly realize is how poorly we do that. And so God says in those moments, you know, I see you, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give you the new heart that you need in order to follow me. I mean, it's beautiful, isn't it? Where we decide to follow him with our whole heart, and then he gives us a whole heart in order to be able to do that. And that's this, this mystery of Christianity, where it's all about what Jesus does, yet it's all about saying yes to him, making a personal choice. And so here's the, here's the point, is that motives, the desire to be with God matters most. God has plans for us. He's leading us toward those plans. It doesn't always make sense to us. But the way that we cooperate with the plans and purposes of God is less about our behavior, less about fully getting it. And it's more about engaging our hearts, aligning our hearts with him, being devoted to him, loving him, uh, you know, I, I think about what makes something good or bad. Do you think about this? What makes something good or bad? Is reading our Bible always good? Well, I know lots of people who have devoted themselves to biblical studies. They have their PhDs in Bible study. They're, they're, they're Greek scholars or Hebrew scholars. And you know what they spend all of their time doing? Poking holes in this 
finding out how it's not true. That if you don't approach this Bible with your whole heart, wanting, uh, engaging in it with faith and love, then even Bible study is a waste of time. And so God says, uh, search for me with your whole heart. And that as your motive is toward me, then Bible reading is one of the the best things that you could ever do. Uh, Look at any issue in life, and what makes it good or bad is the motives behind it. Think about work. Uh, uh, What makes work a noble activity is if you do it in faith and love. And if we don't do it in faith and love, then it just feels like a chain and a bondage. It feels like Babylon and slavery to a boss that we don't respect and never getting enough money per hour that we think we deserve. And it just feels like a bondage. But when we have a new motive, then the very thing that felt like slavery now feels like a privilege. And now we're grateful. Looking at human sexuality. Uh, there's, there's some people that, that just see sex as kind of, it's almost like the greatest evil. And all we need to do is, is suppress uh, sexual desires. Other people say, no, it's, it's just all about, you know, I get whatever I can get. Well, what makes sex redemptive and beautiful is the motive behind it. When, it's, when, when we're motivated by love, then we will engage in that activity in the way that God designed but it's the motive that allows us to do that. Otherwise, we'll feel like we're, we're cheated or we'll feel like we need to run from it. We'll never rightly relate to it if we don't have a, a motive of faith in God that he knows what's best and that we're motivated by love in our hearts. Uh, imagine your hobby. Is your hobby an escape from following God or is it an expression of worship? Even our imagination. Uh, uh, An unhealthy imagination is just really lies. That we live in an imaginary world that we make up that kind of serves our self-serving purposes. God wants to redeem our imagination and make it about what what he dreams about. And It doesn't matter where we look in our life. The thing that, that changes it from being bad to good is our motive. How we engage in it. Now look, I think this is a super big deal. It's a deep value in the Bible. It's always follow God with your whole heart. Search for him with your whole heart. Follow. It's always about with our whole heart. Yet I seldom hear us talking about our hearts. We mostly talk about our feelings or our um, behavior or our thoughts. But how much do we really talk about our hearts and letting our heart engage with God? following him with all that is within us, that our our will, our our affections are oriented towards him. Can I suggest to you that unless we follow God with our whole heart, Christianity will just not make much sense. And we'll try to do good behaviors now and then, and we'll try to see the silver lining in difficult circumstances. But really, it'll always feel a little bit mysterious and illogical. But when we engage with God by faith, in love, when we let our hearts be moved by him, Christianity makes total sense 
and it becomes the life-giving experience that we always imagined it would be. So I've been saying it, but let me just summarize it. That the two big motives in the Bible are faith and love. You've heard me quote Galatians 5, 6b. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 describes uh, love as a, as a motive. Romans 14, 23b describes faith as being a motive. That, uh, that when faith and love define us, then we are walking in God's purposes, even when it's through the land of slavery, even when it's through places where we feel weak and confused, that faith and love have the power to redeem our whole lives. And if we would engage our hearts in our relationship with God, everything would dramatically change. But as we treat him as kind of a sideline, an interesting show like watching YouTube clips in order to pass time, or, 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 or flip through our social media, and he's just one more post. No, if we serve him, if we worship him, if we embrace him with our whole hearts, then everything makes sense. But if we don't, it just, then we're not really getting who God is. It's like that rock star or politician or whoever it is that we think we would want to spend time with. I mean, we would drop everything given who they really are. And so here's my point. If, if God still feels like a, like a footnote, I'm sorry to say you don't know who he is. Cause you would never treat him that way if you truly knew who he was. The only appropriate way to follow God is with our whole heart. And so we say, God, I want to follow you with my whole heart, but it is true that I don't fully understand you. And then God says, ah, let me meet you in that moment. I'll give you a new heart. I'll take away your heart of, of stone and I'll give you a soft heart. But want it. Want it. That's what our heart is. is let yourself want it. And as you want God, as you, as you want to trust him, as you want to be motivated by love, he will fill those places with his presence. And now his plans and purposes are going to be realized in your life, not because the circumstance changed, not because you do it all perfectly, but because your heart is now oriented toward God and not away from him. And this changes everything. So let me ask you in conclusion, what are you working on? And, you know, people are always working on stuff, right? Whether it's fitness or some attitude or, or their, uh, you know, career. What are you working on these days? God invites us to work on our heart. Work on that. Let it actually be a priority. Say, I'm going to work on having a heart that's full of faith and love. I'm going to work on that. Not just pray for it. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to apply energy to it. Given who God is, it is appropriate. It's the only way that I could really relate to him properly is with my whole heart. And so I'm going to work on that. Would you, would you commit to doing that? That I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to put myself in positions in which my heart is stirred towards him. It's why I'm going to read my Bible. It's why I'm going to worship it's why I'm going to pray. It's why I'm going to uh, belong to a, 
to a discipleship group and, and be honest and humble in that place. I am going to invest my heart in my faith. And, uh, and as we make this our focus, do you know what's going to happen? We're going to pray a lot. <laughs> because what we're going to realize is that we need to be saved. That as we try to give God our whole heart, we're going to realize just how impoverished and weak we really are. And so something miraculous happens in those moments is God comes in and transforms our heart in a way that our self-effort never could. But I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning that uh, the only way that he will be able to uh, bring his transforming power into our lives and transform our hearts is if we open our hearts up to him and we give him the freedom to exercise his authority in our lives. But if, if we don't believe that his plans are good and if we close off our hearts, if we um, resent being in Babylon, if we don't prioritize engaging with him, then we will never experience what it means to have a life-giving relationship with God. So I would like to be able to pray for us that, um, that as we are even in a Babylon kind of experience, we would trust in the goodness of God and we would apply our whole hearts to love him and to know that as we draw near to him, he will fill us with his spirit and transform us from the inside out. Father, I thank you that um, your ways are not our ways. And if we were to plot our life, it wouldn't look like how it's looked. But actually, you're leading us step by step in the straightest path toward faith and love. And so I ask this morning that you would stir in our hearts a desire to trust you, to follow you, to love you, Oh, Father, stir our hearts. Please deliver us from our, our stony, stiff-necked hearts that see you as optional and uh, one way of doing things. That we would see you for who you really are, the living God who's deserving of our worship and honor and devotion. Wake us up, Father. Wake up our hearts to see who you really are. And as we apply our energy to change our hearts, and as we receive what you give, I thank you that in that place, we will find freedom and life, peace and joy, because we will have found you. Please, Father, let us learn from the Israelites to not harden our hearts close off our minds, but let us engage with you at a motivational level, trusting that as we let you in at that level, then our heart will be changed and, and following you and obeying you will be the greatest joy in our life. Thank you for your grace. We receive it now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.